Good Wednesday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. We are live anywhere you get your social media. We archive the show anywhere you get your social media and on ilovesevil.com. It's a show that's long-form content, so it can't get taken out of context. I mean, this is not a 15-second or 30-second soundbite. You have context on everything we talk about on this program. Today's show, I think, is going to be dynamite, man. TJ Fadley is in the house. Um, he is running for Board of Supervisors. He's a, you know, I'll straight up say it. I think what Almoral County needs, um, you have a, a small business owner. You have a family man. You have a dude with 27 years of tenure in Almoral County and a guy that's running on a platform that, I, that really resonates with me um, as a small business owner, as a family man myself, a platform of common sense that's looking to keep more of the dollars and cents are hard-earned. I mean, I bust my tail here 80 hours a week in this building. Everyone's like, what's it like to be a, a business owner? Jerry, you got it good. Dude, if, if you, I, I'm not going to complain, and, I'm, and I will never complain. I'm, we're very blessed, my wife and I. But working seven days a week is something that is done on the regular. Even if you're not in the office, you're thinking about the business in some capacity. So that's very much the life of a small business owner, which we'll talk about with TJ. This show is dynamic and interactive, where you, the viewer and listener, can Give TJ props or ask him questions. And I see about a dozen questions already on the show for TJ. Why don't we go studio camera, then two shot, and welcome TJ to the program. You're on camera. Um, Almoral County is your audience. Central Virginia is your audience. Anyone's your audience. TJ, thank you for joining us. Um, introduce yourself to everyone that's watching the program. So, Jerry, thank you for having me. Um, still kind of getting over the nerves of the uh, the public engagement, it's something that I know I'll be signing up for a lot of. Um, it's a pleasure. I've been watching your show for a little over a year and a half. Oh, thank you. Um, great place to grab local knowledge and local news. Um, a little bit about me. So, moved here from south of Dallas back in 1997. Um, attended Almar High School. Had to move to Monticello the following year because I was an underclassman. That was the first year of it, it opening up. Um, my senior year of high school got emancipated, moved out on my own, and ended up transferring back to Almar, which is where I graduated. Um, like you said, I've been here 27 years. You know, I've had the pleasure of calling Almar my home, which one thing I love about it is the beautiful four seasons and mountains. You don't get that on the plains down south of Dallas. Um, you get hot and cold. Um, as you said, father of three that I'm raising in the county um, with my beautiful wife of going on 18 years in August. I've been managing my father's dealership with him, which now I'm part owner of since, I would say, 2003, um, and have been one of the administrators for the last 10 years with him. One of the biggest things, like you said, that I, that I, I think about is, um, you know, although I work six days a week, and that's what my typical schedule is, which equates to about a 57 to 67-hour week minimum, um, one of the number one things we worry about is... On average, I have 25 to 28 employees. You know, you lay down at night, you think about making sure you can come through for, for those people and their family, you know, the people who depend on your business to survive and, and for the income that helps support their households. One of the reasons why I was compelled to run was not only because of my business and my family and friends, is because of just the, the recent taxation trend that seems to be steadily increasing um, over the last three to four years it's it seemed more drastic to where 
as I was studying, and I've been deep diving into so much getting ready for this position that I'm signing up for, um, trying to familiarize myself with the committees and policies and planning and the budget. And one of the things that I've noticed is the, uh, the drastic increase on, on my, my housing, uh, my home assessments. You know, the, the home assessments drastically raised the uh, Rivanna district by 15%, you know, which since 2017 when we built our home, I think it's just shy of about $1,800 increase in my annual taxes that has... Um, that has occurred over the last over the last three years, and I mean, I'm the median household. You know, I looked at the Census Bureau. I'm 41 years old. My income is is right along the median income of of, of the you know the standard house in Almore County. And with three children and my wife at home, you know, we're scraping to make ends meet for groceries and gas and you know simple things like that. To where these increases have taken quality of life choices that we would like to make for our children and ourselves and and it's made us have to reduce those just to make sure we can stay in the county and continue to call it our home so one of my main platforms is trying to get in there and create some reasonable tax and spend policies um, for the county i was just just perusing the the uh 2024 budget that they're proposing and i see it's only about a hundred and $50 million um, increase in expenditures over the uh, the last, what I call the last normal budget, which was 2019, which was just shy of $400 million, about $398 million. Um, my biggest, biggest logic is there's got to be some savings in there somewhere that we can find to make normal people's lives a little bit more affordable. Um, you know, you get a lot of these proposals come in from county staff, which from what I've read, about 65% of them live in bedroom counties. So if you're working in the county and you can't afford to live in the county you're working in, you know, I think another part of my platform I'd really like to push would be engaging the community in how their money's being spent, you know, and how it's being taken. Um, I don't see much of that from our, our current board of supervisors. I would like to engage, you know, figure quarterly, quarterly newsletters. So one thing I've been learning as I've been delving into campaigning, which is something I'm completely new at, but I think I'm, I'm hitting the ground running and I'm, I'm pretty quick on the uptake. One thing I've learned is that the, um, the direct mailers that can be offered to a candidate are relatively inexpensive. How could we not send out a quarterly newsletter letting county residents know what plans we have with their tax dollars, how they plan to spend, when they can show up and have a public debate on that. Um, you know, try to actually engage. I mean, the county's website talks about engaging community, but in all of my years here, you know, you, you have to flip over rocks to find out where you can, where you can engage. Um, you can go to the website if you happen to know where a community advisory committee is or one of the other committee meetings that are going on taking place to dictate as to how the funding will be allocated and how it would be spent, but I don't see a direct reach from the board on behalf of their constituents on how our money's being spent. So I'd like to be the guy that since in my years of business, I've gotten very comfortable at having uncomfortable conversations as uh, management, well yeah. you know, as management. Plus I trained jujitsu in town here at Gracie Charlottesville. Um, What's that? And at Brett yes, Miller's at, at Gracie. Brett Miller's Jet and Gracie, which oh, God, great group this, of guys. Yeah. Um, you know, 
great ownership, great coaches. Um, you know, we get a lot of the intel and a lot of the first responder communities. I'm 100% in support of all of those guys, great community members. But one thing that that training has taught me is how to put myself in an uncomfortable position. Um, along with my years of admin and management and customer service, um, I believe it's given me a good, a good disposition to sit in those rooms to have those uncomfortable conversations so we can come up with amicable, amicable trade-offs on behalf of the taxpayers. You know, I'd like to be that taxpayer advocate that I don't see on our board of supervisors. Um, I respect that. Let me jump in here. Yes, please. Um, you're getting props from a lot of people. First, let's go to the better half. Chelsea in the house. She's watching the program. The family watching you. She says, so proud of you, my husband. Go get them. Chelsea, um, I can already tell that you're an amazing, amazing better half. The, best. the rock and foundation of this family. Um, I got one just like you at home. And, and folks do not realize this. TJ and I cannot do the stuff we do professionally without a, a, a strong superhero foundation wife and mom at, at, at the house. My wife literally right now, I mentioned this to TJ, is balancing a laptop, doing some work for this business while taking care of an almost eight-month-old and a five-year-old that goes a thousand miles all the time. She, TJ's getting props from Linda. I might mess your last name up here, Linda. Linda Bonke. That's my mother. Oh, welcome. She's watching the program right, she right lives, now. She lives south of Austin. So. <laughs> we love you, Linda. Welcome to the show. Katie Pearl has got a question and some props for you that I'm going to throw on air. Roger Voisin. A lot of people watching here. Um, I want to throw a couple things to this guy. Common sense. He uses that phrase on his website. He uses it in, his, in describing his platform. He talks about keeping um, our hard-earned dollars in our pocket. And his story he told... Uh, about groceries and making ends meet. I think so many of us can relate to that in Central Virginia right now. A six-figure salary, 100000 100, whatever it may be for a, a median income household in Almoral County, that's what it is. That does not go nearly as far as it did before COVID just four years ago. So I want to throw this to you here. Um, assessments you brought up. We know assessments in Almoral County are, tar are tied to market value. So there's little control the assessor can do when it comes to assessments. But what the Board of Supervisors can do is the tax rate, the real estate tax rate, and jiggle that a little bit. I also was, I'm going to use the, the phrase appalled that the tax rate was not prioritized and dropped with assessments how they've been upticking. And I've also been appalled that they haven't prioritized incremental tax revenue in Albemarle County, new sources of tax revenue outside of rooftops and vehicles that gentrify all of us out of the county we love to call home. Anywhere you want to go on these topics. So I'm glad you brought that up. The, when it comes to tax rates and assessments, you know, there was a statement made by, my, by the incumbent that I'm running against that said that they have no control over the assessments, which I agree 100%. They have no control over those assessments. One thing they do have control over is the tax rate, as you stated. Um, so the county is, has to notify the public, which I was reading the, what is it, the 2019 plan guide or notice guide, which states that 30 days prior to the public hearing that can take place to vote on what they're going to do with that year's annual tax rate has to be advertised in one circulated newspaper 30 days prior to that public forum. 
I agree that they follow the rule of the law there, but I don't think that's enough. How are busy people who are scraping to make ends meet, trying to maintain their households, how are they going to know any better if they're not grabbing the, the daily progress, which, you know, is now on a, a three-time-a-week circulation. So through the post office. Through the post office, yeah. which, as a business owner, you know, not to knock on federal entities, but the post office has let us down many a times in our years. So, uh, you know, and not to knock any of the hardworking people trying to make it happen, but that, again, just goes to show you how government bureaucracy runs as opposed to the potential of a privatized institution. Like oh, give them props for that. UPS or Dude, that just gave me the goosebumps FedEx. right there. Keep going. Um, so back to what you were saying is government is a business like no other business. Um, my business, if I choose to squander the money that we generate, that's our priority. If the government, on the other hand, is in the business of simply taking tax revenue out of the pockets of people who earn it. Now, I'm not opposed to taxation in the paid goods we receive as long as they are, you know, well-organized and well-executed paid goods. Um, and I'm all, I'm all in on paying our fair share, but our fair share is the key. You know, as I said, it seems like our expenses are kind of running away from us. If you go to the county's website and you look at their five-year projections, they're spending $30 million more million than what they plan to bring in. Somebody should be having a red light going off on that, going, hey, guys, we should really figure out where the allocations are, you know. I know you made mention of the Rivanna Futures project, which, look, I'm not opposed to because, again, I train with a lot of those guys. They bring great people, great income to the community, remarkable economic drive. That's if they plan to stay in this county. But due to the fact that our county is a higher-taxed county, What's to say they don't want to commute 30 minutes and fall into a county that's a little bit more fiscally responsible with their funding? Um, you know, again, and I'm, I'm all encouraging on the concept of free enterprise and, you know, private-public partnerships. But, again, you know, the uh, – and I know it's still early stages, the due diligence. But as you would stated, you know, and I understand they're probably paying, you know, market value, but – if you look at the county GIS, it looks like they paid two and a half times more than what, what they assessed it as I'll give worth. some background here. Almore County, um, in a very clandestine deal, um, the government, the Board of Supervisors, acquired 462 acres of property along Route 29 North adjacent to Rivanna Station. $58 million, the purchase price. $58 mil. Now, the foundation of this deal, this land acquisition, was to keep the defense sector, the many different um, you know, National Grounds Intelligence Center, Defense Intelligence Agency, um, the alphabets, as Scott Morse likes to describe it. Scott's watching right now. He says, go get them, TJ. Um, the idea is to keep the defense sector locally, and by purchasing this land, there's a potential permanent home for the alphabets, for the defense sector in Almaro County. That's what we're talking about. Jump in. So, yeah, and again, I believe that it is, you know, I believe that the deal could be a sound investment. And I encourage maintaining a relationship and trying to foster a greater relationship with, with our defense sector. You know, that's not what I'm speaking out again. And, and I, I will parrot you when I say hats off to Wendell Wood and his organization. Oh, yeah. He crushed it. Because he crushed it. And, yeah. you know, as from one businessman to another, 
hats off. Right. I, I, I agree with you. I'd love to sit and have a beer because I'm pretty sure there's something I could entertain, something I could gain from just a simple conversation with the man. I that, hope I'm in that conversation too. There's would, no doubt about it. I would, we would love both it. gain something. <laughs> well, and you've got to look back at, I mean, Wendell Wood and his family and his organization have had such a drastic economic impact in hand in developing our community. Thankfully, you know, I'm again, I'm not speaking out against the deal. And I know they're still waiting on the due diligence in the process. And I know, you know, there might be a possibility of the Virginia Economic Development Partnership to come in and maybe fund some of that, which would be nice because that would help soften the blow on behalf. Um, and again, still waiting on the details to come through because at a first glance, it looks like the, the county executive and, and the crew that put this together we're kind of looking for like an attaboy, you know. Why is the county so alone on this? Why haven't we engaged with more, you know, more state partnership to, to try to make sure that, you know, that this risk, which should bring reward, because without, there's no reward without risk. I do understand that. There's an old business saying, scared money doesn't make money. So, again, I'm not opposed to fostering this relationship, and I'm not opposed to the extra economic drive that it can bring because, hey, those are tax dollars that can help soften the blow on average households um but to me it just you know it's quite speculative at the moment so again i'd like to wait to see what the details prevail on that um you know other things and one of the reasons why i segue to that is because you hear a lot of clamor about new schools and if the county's investing in projects like this where does that leave us on the capital improvement that we need for these new schools as the county grows. You know, I was just reading a article in the progress about some schools are over enrolled, some schools are under enrolled, and I believe they're through the through August they're going to be having a process of working through to see how they can eliminate some of the overcrowding by filling in some of the under enrollment and they're looking to try to slow down the possibility of splitting up, you know, lifelong friends going from one, you know, from one elementary to two middle schools. That's a big deal. Which it is because, you know, my son, as he left Stony Point Elementary to go to Lakeside, a lot of his good friends ended up going to, I believe, Buford is the school. I'm definitely going to ask you about that rebranding of schools. So you ask me. We don't have to go down if you don't want to. Well, I I don't want, I'm not going to go too far down a rabbit hole, but that right there, you ask me, is a waste of tax revenue. It's a waste. Now, I think I did watch the show with Meg Bryce. She made a point, which I'll kind of leave it at, is the whole Virginia Murray. So the whole concept of equity, which I love the idea of equity, and I love the idea of diversity. I've had a diverse friend group my entire life. I'm 41 years old, born in 1982. I'm a Valentine baby, so the hearts behind me, they're perfect. I've always looked at things through the lens of love. Um, You know, growing up in Texas, at many a Baptist sermon, you've heard the old love your neighbor the way you love yourself. That's the way our mother always taught us, and that's the way we always try to look at it. It's the way I'm teaching my children. I will teach my children to love your children regardless of what they look like. Um, Respect. And I'm a big believer in that. You know, I'm a big believer in to each his own. One of my biggest premises of my campaign is I want you to have the freedom to live your life the way you want. I just think you could do better with more of your hard-earned income on making the choices for your quality of life. Um, You know, the county has a lot to say about equity and diversity, but 
in my business, which if you don't know, I run Freebridge Auto Sales. Everybody rides. I'm sure you see me in the commercials. One of the best taglines <laughs> legitimately in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Everyone knows the tagline. Everybody rides. Everyone knows this tagline. And my father was very smart to have it trademarked back in, I think, 95, early 95, um, because we've had many of people try to steal it. But one of the things my dealership does is it, it is a niche market that helps subprime financing happen for people who need, need that help. Um, my favorite saying, which I've got a great clientele base, some of the realest people, some of the greatest conversations I've had in my 20 years, one of my favorite lines is, Bad things happen to good people all the time. Um, unfortunately, there are not many institutions like ours that will take a chance on giving somebody that opportunity to go, get going. So I'm all about second chances, and I'm all about equity. And, of course, I know you know we are a profitable business, and we are a high-risk business. So we do have to run with the margins we do. But one thing I've learned is I have a lot of people who – are entangled in government systems. Um, you know, single mothers, for instance, which I complain about, and I know I won't have any any say of this on the board of supervisors. And you know, maybe if I get into a state level or something along that nature, I, I never planned to be a career politician. I always thought you should do your job, go back to work as the way it's intended. Um, but while dealing with single mothers through the years, you look at these programs and. If a single mother is making a certain amount of income, they will give a certain amount of entitlements um, or a certain amount of benefits. And if that single mother makes $2,000 more than that cap, they snatch them all away. You ask me, that's a government system that has a ceiling, not a launch pad. Why would you not elevate that young lady as she elevates herself to better her household? Um, tear her off of the benefits that she's requiring as opposed to threatening her with taking them away. So the reason I segued to that is because although the government, you know, the county clamors about equity and diversity, I just don't see how government programs offer equity to anybody considering it's everybody who is financing those government programs. The best way to help them is to let them keep their own equity, soften the blow on their pockets. Um, a lot I, mean, I want to unpack with that. A lot I want to. Brent is watching um, from your gym, uh, literally watching the show here. From his gym. Yeah, from his gym. Excuse me. You work out at his gym. Yes, sir. Um, Wonderful gym. Brent, this is the second time in a week that Gracie has come up on the show. Chief Cotchis brought up this gym. He works out there, Charlottesville Police Department. Um, we have Neil Williamson from the Free Enterprise Forum watching the program. A ton of folks in Keswick, a ton of folks in Almore County North on our heat map. This is your voting block. So here's what I want to throw here. This guy is running. Let me let me see if I can unpack it. You're running on a platform that is about being fiscally conservative. I get the impression you are socially liberal. I, socially libertarian. Okay. Okay. I get I the say. impression that you are a small government guy. Yes. I get the impression that you are looking for incremental tax sources, economic development, yes, to alleviate the tax burden on homeowners and to alleviate the tax burden on personal property. Because if we get um, incremental revenue from new tax sources, potentially we can jiggle with the real estate tax rate and either keep it the same or drop it a couple cents, which would keep more money in our pocket during a time of inflation and credit card debt being at an all-time high in America. Everything you're saying, I identify with 1,000%. I have to ask you specifically, what are the economic development ideas and plans that you have 
the new sources of tax revenue here? Well, so as I told you, I'm still learning a lot, so I don't have all the answers for that. But part of what I'm hearing from the multiple local business owners and developers that I know are, and I will parrot Mr. Pruitt last night, streamlining the buzzsaw process for development. You're talking Michael Pruitt on yesterday's show? On yesterday's show, which one thing he said, you know, they talk about affordable housing. One thing to make housing affordable would be to streamline the process for development. It is a costly process for a developer to go through a two-year situation in order to get something developed, um, which just drastically adds cost to the development in question. Between that, you know, trying to find yourself to be a little more friendlier to businesses. Um, Case in point, my dealership's been around for a long time. We have these little American flag pennants we fly to kind of get movement to get people to look over at our dealership. Why? Because if they show up and they buy a car, that helps us bring in revenue, which that revenue helps us pay for our operational expenses and our county's taxes. One thing we had is a county um, employee stopped by one day and let us know that in order to fly those, we have to we have to pay for a six-month permit to fly those. Why would you encumber my business with an extra expense just to try to generate revenue so that way I can turn around and send it to you guys at, at the times that it's being requested? Which my building alone, I mean, that's on just, just shy of $30,000 is what the increases have, have gone for. $30,000, I mean, I could give everybody in my organization a $1,000 a year raise. That's or, a pretty good start for another salaried employee. <laughs> exactly. Or it's exactly, it's a, it's a whole other salaried employee or a whole other employee in general. Um, I would just try to find ways to be friendlier for businesses to open up. Um, I mean, we're already in, a, in an economy that's so up and down. One thing they were touting is how they lowered the personal property tax rate, which that's wonderful. But considering vehicles increased 40 percent, the market on a used car increased 40 percent. The same car I was buying three years ago, I'm paying $2,000 more for on average. Um, and then, you know, they want to hammer us for having to pass on the increase in expense. Well, one thing I was just told, and it resonated well with me, is everything you buy has a government cost built into it. So the more we can lower that government cost, the better we can offer those, those services and goods to the public at a more affordable rate. Um, you know, every rent has a built-in government costs for the taxes that are being paid, which, back to taxes, which, look, a lot of it is is big on that. You know, they talk about affordable housing. So not only was it a 13.4% increase over the county, countywide, which our district got hit with 15%, and some people have told me up to 20 to 30%, depending on the size of land they own. Which you got to remember, just because you own the land doesn't mean you have the money sitting around that it's worth. You're, You're paying taxes on unrealized gains. Amen. And then when you sell it, you're going to have to pay a, a capital gains tax on top of that. There it is. So, but back to what I was getting to is 28.8% increase on multifamily homes. Those are supposed to be the most affordable places for people to live. They just got hit with almost a 30% increase. How are the landlords going to be able to help maintain an affordable rent whenever the county just hammered them with the hardest of increases. So to me, it looks a lot like 
three steps forward, two steps back. Um, Mike Pruitt highlighted a lot of these points yesterday as well. Um, I want you to, Mike Pruitt's watching now. Which, uh, hi, Mike, highlight what you thought from the Mike Pruitt interview. What'd you take? Everything. So I like his concept of opening up the conversation of maybe expanding the growth area because, you know, I'm not opposed to dense infill where it works, but again, if your dense infill is on a hillside, which being in the foothills of the mountain, you have a lot of that. We own a building right behind our dealership. There was an increase of almost $300,000, I believe, in the cost of building that building due to the retaining walls and the groundwork necessary to make it safe for it to be a site for a building. Um, one thing I like is, is, is Mike is a younger gentleman. You know, nothing against older folks. They bring a lot of experience. But one thing I'm running on is transparency and bringing a new voice, a um, you know, a fresher perspective to the Board of Supervisors. Although I know we we're, we're probably stand on the opposite side of one another, I like the fact that he's where, a younger uh, guy. Where, specifically? So, I mean, I'm, I'm a very independent, moderate person. Um, I'm fiscally conservative because, like you said, I'm for smaller government. You know, one of the, the people who made Charlottesville so great was Thomas Jefferson. He was an anarchical capitalist. So that basically means somebody who can maintain their own self-governance or doesn't need some supreme overlord to dictate how their life is run. And he believed in free market and the fact of the growth and the abilities to, you know, to maintain a healthy society with it. Now, education's not a big thing that we're in on, but I do think that our education, you know, I think we need to strengthen education and I think we need to strengthen households, you know, regardless of how your household lives. A strong household is where you should be taught, you know, what, what kind of, what culture is about and how to be respectful of other people's culture. Education should be to, to teach you strong academics so that way we can have a civil society that can maintain these agreements amongst one another, whether we strongly disagree, but yet just need to maintain a civil society. I mean, that's the only way that that contract will ever work um, is smarter people and stronger households, which... One thing that I see is it seems as if, you know, the government looks like they would like to try to take over more of how we raise our families and in, in involvement in our household. All right, I got to jump in on that to one. To me, that's scary. I got to jump in on that one. I'll highlight some of the folks watching. Um, Liza Borges, hello. Um, Dave Norris, hello. Welcome to the program. Herb Porter, Brittany Gray, who's running Fluvanna County School Board, hello. Johnny Ornalis, small business owner, Guadalajara and El Mariachi. Hello, Amy Benson, Mooses by the Creek. Hello, thank you for watching. Catherine Lochner, Alex Erpy, CEO of Emergent Financial Services. Hello, Maria Barnes giving you props. Logan Wells Claylo giving you props. Joyce Vinyas, sorry if I'm messing up your last name there, Joyce. Um, parents' rights. Yunkin yesterday, and I'm going to get out of your way. I'll set the stage, I'll set the table. You devour the main course, which is the question I'm throwing to you. And you can go anywhere you want here. I have an idea where you're going to go. Um, Yunkin yesterday, new policy that shifted previous policy, now very much empowering parents when it comes to um, communication and transparency with their children, um, LGBTQ um, identifying in schools. Um, this is a topic, and, and I don't think you will take contested. this answer that Board of Supervisors only allocates the money to the school board, so this is only a school board topic. I don't think you'll take that because I think this is a topic and a question that everyone care about right now. 
where do you stand on parents' rights when it comes to education and the transparency and conversation um, opportunities that may be there or may not be there when it comes to kids and teachers? Well, so consider I'm probably biased on this question, being a parent of three children. Um, I do believe parents should have have a right to know what's going on in their their child's education. Um, it goes back to this. We as a community fund all of these institutions. Why should we not have a say-so or at least a knowledge? Now, am I saying that I think a teacher should prematurely out their child? No. Am I saying that parents shouldn't be accepting to their children? One of my children would have come out to me. I would, I would love them no less. I would embrace the, the difference. Um, again, I'm 41 years old. I have had a diverse group of friends my entire life. I respect the utmost of how people want to live their, live their life. You know, we only get one turn around the sun. Um, so enjoy it. Another reason why I'm pushing back on the taxes is because we're selling our lives for the money that is being pulled out of our pockets to fund these institutions. But I do believe parents should have a say in what their child's education looks like. Um, you know, I do believe that education should be education. I think school should be a safe place for all children regardless of what their choices are. I would say that it would be a concern to know if there was certain indoctrination being pushed in to our school What's systems. What's that mean? What's that mean? You know, whatever political agenda that might be opposing to whatever yours is in your household. One of my constituents said it best. Your children should be raised to reflect your morals and values. Um, she was actually one of the young ladies I met at a friend's get-together that signed my petition to help me get on the ballot as an independent candidate. Um, you know, I'm not, again, I'm very moderate. I'm not extreme one way or the other. I am a small government guy, which is why I lean into the softer taxes. Um, again, I think society should be more prepared to have more uncomfortable conversations. I don't think it's the government's responsibility to raise our children. I don't think it's the government's responsibility to indoctrinate our children regardless of whatever persuasion might be in that, you know, educator's mindset. I think the educators should show up and they should do their jobs. I think they should be well-funded and have all the resources needed to do their jobs. Um, one of the things I've heard is, you know, and you might have heard me say it, is the bloat of admin. Um, if you look at it, and if I'm correct now, it's hard to find some of these counts, but if I'm correct, I did the math, I think it's 1,100 administrative employees versus 2,200 educators. It's like one, one administrator per every seven teachers. Um, why are we paying so many people in the admin office? Why don't we pull some of that back and that way we can disperse it to the teachers so they can get better pay and have better resources to not only bring the children who are struggling up to par, but also to challenge the ones who are exemplary. You know, I was an average student. I never thought, oh, there's the smart kids. Now, yeah, there were comments made, but it never, it never hurt my feelings. They put in the effort and the work. They deserve the acknowledgement. I didn't. I was good with my hands. I liked to build. I was a very social butterfly. I had a great group of friends. I focused on that more than I focused on my studies. So at the end of the day, you know, I am a parent. I want to know what's going on with my children. I make this loving joke. My children are the best thing that ever happened to me. They're the most expensive thing I've ever owned. It's <laughs> so true. So as I invest into my children and their future and trying to send good people out into society, I want my, I want my 
public institutions to do what's best with our tax dollars, and that's teach academics and make sure our children are ready for it. Scott Morris, which you recommend, you just had on, posted something today, and what he posted, which if you don't mind me scrolling through oh, my please phone, do. Please I know do. it's rude, but what Scott Morris posted was something I think is one of the most vital things. You know, I remember home ec, I remember shop class, I remember sewing, so my wife always says, oh, you can sew better than me. So you got to remember, I'm one of I'm one of nine children, but I was the wow. youngest of six originally before my father's recent three children. Being the youngest of six, I grew up with a lot of hand-me-downs, so I learned how to sew. Uh-huh. Why? Because hand-me-downs come already threadbare, and you need to put them back together once you blow them out. And we used to play outside. We were a feral group of children. We would leave in the, in the daytime, eat breakfast. We'd leave. We'd come back when it was dark. We literally had a dinner triangle um, when I grew up in Texas out in the country. So... That was one thing that, you know, was, was highly beneficial um, for me was being able to use my hands to make, you know, to make do with what we had. So Scott posted this, subjects that should be mandatory in schools, taxes. <laughs> if people knew how taxes, I love when somebody says, well, that's government funded. And I said, actually, it's not. It's taxpayer funded. The government just spends it once they take it from us. Coding. That would be something great. I was part of the, my generation, we had computer lab. We went once a week. You sure. know, nowadays, my son carries a laptop to and fro. You know, we probably have spinal issues from all the books we used to lug around. Cooking, insurance, basic home repairs, self-defense, survival skills, social etiquette. That's a good one. Personal finance, public speaking, which I could have used more of because as I'm engaging and embarking on this campaign... That's something that I have to break the nerves away every time I show up to a public engagement. Car maintenance. Being in the auto industry, I've had people sit across from me as I'm going over the warranty and the terms and what's expected of maintenance and and requirements. And you'll literally have younger folks look at you and say, there's oil in this vehicle? You know, that's why YouTube's great. YouTube University. Um, There's a guy on there and he'll teach you how to change a tire, how to check oil, how to check fluids, how to do simple things. I think it's like a, uh, you know, for folks who grew up, which I grew up in a split household, you know, my parents co-parented well. Um, but folks who didn't have maybe that male role model to teach them that, there's a guy on YouTube that does great at educating people with small films on how to take care of these things. You know, the worst is whenever you get somebody who blew their car up because they went 15,000 miles and never changed the oil, and then right. you have to look at them and say, unfortunately, you're out of warranty, and that expense is now going to be yours. Um, not a, not a good conversation to have, but one I've had frequently. Um, and then the last one was stress management because, you know, we're all like hamsters on a wheel just trying to make it all happen, which is one of the other reasons I was compelled to step up. Not that I have any shortage of life going on in my, in my day-to-day. I mean, I've run I'm six days a week at a business. I'm knocking on doors three to four days a week now. First time ever campaigning. I'm not a politician. First time going for political office. I'm hitting the ground running, and some days it's overwhelming. Luckily, I train jiu-jitsu, and I have other workouts. You know, yesterday I, I got home after training on a 12 o'clock class, and I ran three and a half miles. That's a great way to blow off steam. Um, I thank the pandemic for that because as we were all sitting at home with nothing to do, I figured, hey, let me start doing something recreational for my health. I like it. And so, you know, finding ways of stress management, my brother and, you know, He's, he's big into yoga. That's one thing I, I can recommend to everybody, regardless of, you know, how manly you are. Get out there and stretch. You know, don't, don't be too, 
don't be too macho to to open yourself up to an idea that might be one of the best things that that you ever ever signed up for so I love what you're I love what you're saying here I want to highlight some of the viewers and listeners Jessica Ray Zach Moore Stephanie Easter Matt Robinson Susan Wire Way Nix Nick um, Halibo, Carlos Zamora. I mean, your crew's rising and shining right now on the uh, TJ Fatally pages. Um, if you have some questions, put it in the feed. I'll relay it live on air. Katie Pearl and Carly Wagner. I will get to your questions in a matter of moments. I'm going to ask a few of my own. We'll go rapid fire uh, so we can cover as much topic material as possible. The comprehensive plan. Five percent of Almaro County allocated to commercial and residential development. Literally five percent in the comp plan for commercial and residential development. And not all of that five percent is even developable because the topography, as he's highlighted already, does not allow it. You, I had Diantha McKeel in the chair literally right next to you. And I think I, I mentioned this yesterday to Mike Pruitt. Um, you, Diantha McKeel said in this camera on that microphone, I am not in favor of expanding the 5% um, because right now the 5% is, in, is not at full capacity. And she highlighted the shopping centers on Route 29 and the vacancy rate on the shopping centers there, saying, why would we expand it when these shopping centers are not full capacity? Very straightforward question for you. What's your stance on the 5% developmental area and whether you would expand it, vote yes, or vote no? Well, so I've had multiple conversations on that as well, um, just trying to get up to snuff. I agree with Mr. Pruitt on the fact that I think a slight expansion would be necessary. Um, one thing I will tell you that I've watched over the last 20 years is our infrastructure be overburdened by the infill. Unfortunately, they never planned to have so much infill on the infrastructure that you see. I mean, I watch traffic on, tw- on 250 out in front of my dealership gridlock twice a day and it all bottlenecks in and there's no room to to expand that to alleviate any of that so although the infill is not fully in you take things like biscuit run park i think that was a little under 1200 acres that's taken out of the five percent comp plan comp plan so where is the addition for that expansion um i'm not saying we need to rip the cap off and just let it spew over but i do think smart growth is something that i've heard i think it's it's a conversation we really need to have take place you know a slight expansion into that that growth area on that comp plan would be great for alleviating some of the traffic congestion it would be helpful to make affordable housing as mr pruitt was stating which again i like the concept of affordable housing as well one of the reasons i'm running is so i can try to keep my house affordable for my family to stay in you, you know, it's a very multifaceted approach. If I saw correctly, I think it was, I don't know if it was Sean Tubbs or Neil Williamson, which both of them I... Neil's watching. I, which, hey, Neil, how's it going? I've had great conversations with him. He had come up with the lasagna plan, which I know I will blow that up if I try to, to preach it, but I would recommend if you have him back on to, to elaborate into that because that was probably one of the, one of the more clever concepts I've heard. Um, I've talked with multiple developers that I know personally, and one of the biggest gripes is is the the excessive cost for them to develop. Um, I did see in one of their forums, it looked like, I think it might have been Sean Tubbs, who's another remarkable reporter and would have great insight on this stuff because they've had their ear to the ground so long. I think they were talking about the... Is it Seminole Square behind Kmart? Oh, yeah. And the apartments, apartments. that they were looking to put in there. 
I think that's a great idea, especially considering it looks like that 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 shopping center is having a hard time to fill that large portion area. What a good place that's already got infrastructure built in that could handle it. Although, yes, but you figure it's right off of our largest byway. So the congestion that's already there is is only going to be slightly increased. Um, I mean, I think concepts like that are great as far as if you're looking for infill, there's a good place. Be limited site work. You've already got all the groundwork there. You've already got all of the utilities built in. That's another thing that hurts the tap fee. If you're trying to build a development in the county, I think so. My father owns, in one of his holding companies, he owns about eight rentals. Um, there are five of them in the county. We had purchased one that had a lot that we were able to, sub, uh, to divide, and it was off Georgetown Road. Well, it was still on an old well. Seven grand then, and I think this is five, six years ago, seven grand per tap fee per domicile. It's gone up. 14000 I think, is the last, if I can quote one of the other developers. 14000 How can they create affordable homes? There it is, right here. If they're being hammered for fourteen grand, i will give you a really, a really um, nice buttoned up um, couple sentences that you can use on the campaign trail. Almoral County right now, 24%, 24, 24%, the cost of new construction. Building a single-family detached house, 24% of it is red tape and paperwork and permitting. So a $400,000 home, we're talking a hundred grand is not bricks or sticks or granite or appliances or drywall. It is legitimately paperwork and permitting. Ask anyone in the county office, ask Neil Williamson about this, 24%. That would be a perfect one for what you're trying to say here. So, Jerry, I know all too well, like I told you, we built our house in 2017. So the same business partner that's in line with my father that helps him with the you know, rehab and renovation and new construction on empty lots was the gentleman who built our home. He allowed me to do a lot of the general contracting work to help save me that 24%. I understand that all too well. Miles of red tape. And the worst is, is and now look, I know developers are a little bit better off because they've done it for so long. But again, that process should still be streamlined for everybody. I showed up to the county office building, I could say at least six times. You know, you come in, they tell you what you need, you bring that back, and then they tell you you need this. Well, you should have had this before you brought this. Why didn't you tell me that out of one of the five times I was here? Why didn't you tell me that? You know, why didn't you say, oh, you're doing all this? Here you go. Here's a list of everything you're going to need. Go get all that together and show back up. So that way you could show back up with everything we need to pay for the $1,800 for your build permit. You know, that's not counting the almost ten grand out of pocket for the well, the septic, I'm on an alternative because of where I live. So that was another $25,000 increase in, in my septic system, um, which is great because, you know, it's DEQ approved and it's, it's one of the discharge systems. I understand all of that. I'm, I'm all for reasonable regulation. Um, but it comes back to that reasonable regulation. You know, a hundred grand extra can buy you a lot of house or you can have a, you know, you can save a lot of money if they could cut that red tape and your developer could soften the blow on how much he's got to turn around and, and sell the house to you for to make profit. There it is. Or rent the house if he's in the rental game. There it is. This guy is speaking common sense here. Comments we're going to get to here. This from Deep Throat, who's watching in Bozeman, Montana. 
uh, a Charlottesville native uh, in Bozeman now. He says it's refreshing to hear an actual local small, small business owner getting into leadership as opposed to the flood of no-skin-in-the-game activists that we get in the city. And he also says, um, you're on a, he says we're on a great show with shows lately. Thank you kindly. And he says, TJ gets it. You cannot just say yimby yay infill and ignore infrastructure. The city of Charlottesville should listen to this guy. Ginny Hu on Twitter says, I wish I could vote for this guy. I have... Uh. Dozens of commenters talking about voting for you right now, TJ. I, um, I want to get to comments, and if you guys have a question for TJ, put them in the feed, and I will relay them live on air to TJ. You have a TV station and a newspaper watching you right now. Katie Pearl, this is for you, your question. It's refreshing to hear from a small business owner with employees and a family who is also going through the struggles that many in Almore County are experiencing. I'm glad he's running, and we need more people like TJ Fadeley running in Albemarle County. Amen. I'll say Carly Wagner's Thank comment you. now. Carly Wagner says, I bet nearly 99% of Albemarle County residents would have rather seen that $58 million used to build a northern high school in Albemarle County instead of on the 400 and some acres um, for the spy stations. She also says, they already own the land. They don't sit they don't, uh, it's, it's across, she says, from Brook Hill, and we need a high school in the northern feeder system. She talks about capital investments in schools and then forking over that kind of money to a private developer. I also want to highlight this. Neither TJ nor I are throwing any shade on Wendell or, or United, United Land Corp. They're in the business of keeping a business in the black. What Wendell did is completely fair game. I think the point TJ's making is prioritization of taxpayer funding, and was that the best use of it? I think the point TJ is making is did they overpay and truly do their due diligence, or was this a rush closing and a rush deal um, done out of emotion? I think that's he's making. And I think the point he's also making is transparency and communicating with all of taxpayers that this was going to happen as opposed to springing it upon us and then once it was sprung upon us to steal your phrase there's not a doubt in my mind they were looking for props and a pat on the back from there that's exactly what that play was anywhere you want to go on any of this well and i agree so look you know as i complained to people who had to listen my employees you know my older brother who's been a, a great example of how I've, how i've patterned my life looked at me and said well Stop complaining to us. What are you going to do about it? So here I am um, trying to get out and make a little bit of a change. I think I said before the show, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite frames was a Buddhist statement that said, you can tend to the garden, you can reach. So again, here I am trying to see if I can't help shape local policy to make the community a little bit more palatable for my children to stick around in the future if that's their choice. You know, I agree. And again, no shade to Wendell Wood. I, hats off to him. Realistically, I think one of the ways they could have negotiated with him is possibly give him some sort of sunsetting tax incentive that would have made him want to sell that land a little bit better. Talk to us Price. about that. This is creative. Here. Yeah, so here's the thing, and I don't have all of it. It's a, one of those conversations I would love to have, but you figure you give this man an incentive. Think of the amount of money that he has paid in through the four decades, if I'm correct of development in our community and the shaping in our community, the jobs he's brought, the economic impact that he has brought, the amount of insane tax revenue 
not not to mention property taxes that I'm sure he has sure. paid on right. all of the land he has held for years that right. the county has graciously spent. But the insane amount of revenue and economic drive he has brought to this community, soften the blow for him. Give him some sort of sunsetting tax break that would have made it lucrative for him to want to have negotiated a better deal for the county and the and or taxpayers' funding, in my opinion. Give him some sort of break. I mean, we all know, I'm sure he has paid in a fair share to the system. So Probably more so than anyone in Almoral <laughs> County history, probably. I, I, I would agree strongly. So give the man a break. Um, make it lucrative for him to where he would want to soften his price tag. Again, hats off to him. I would really like to shake his hand because I think he's probably one of the strongest negotiators. And my father is... My father, in my opinion, which is one of my best friends. Which he's pretty damn good, too. My father is one heck of a businessman, and um, I have told him to his face, I think you don't hold a candle to Mr. Wendell Wood in this situation. But, um, again, it it comes back to just... I'm not sure Thomas Jefferson holds a candle to Wendell Wood. It comes back to having... Being comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. You know, I'm thankful for UVA. I believe UVA has been one of the best insulators for our community through I've seen the recession, you know, with my father. I've seen this COVID impact. UVA is the number one employer, aside from what we've now found out, is the defense sector. And not casting shade to UVA because I wouldn't want them to go anywhere, but you figure they're one of the largest landholders in the county. Yeah. They're tax exempt. The more they buy up these neighborhoods, the harder it is for people that have been in these neighborhoods for 20, 30 years to stay in these neighborhoods or generations to stay in these neighborhoods. The more land they own, which they're the largest land bank holder we have, the less tax space we have or the less less space we have for taxable businesses. So are you, is this a segue into a pilot, a payment in lieu of taxes, if you are elected to Almoral County Board of Supervisors? He's running against B. Lepisto currently. We're going to know what? The first Tuesday in November. Are you, if you're elected, would you push a pilot, a payment in lieu of taxes program where you go, you use essentially your political influence? Michael Payne is all for this in Charlottesville and city council. So you right. could, here's another potential leverage play for you or a platform point for you. I'm a, I'm a junkie for this kind of politics stuff. You could form a JV, a joint venture with Michael Payne, and pull political resources, Almoral County Board of Supervisors, and Charlottesville City Council. I'll tag Michael Payne. He watches our shows. And you guys go, Board of Supervisors and City Council, to UVA together, and you leverage the power of PR and public perception, and you put it in the news cycle, use a platform like this to your advantage, and you say, UVA, you have all this land that is tax-exempt. You need to pony up with some kind of large chunk to Albemarle County and to the city of Charlottesville to help alleviate the tax burden on residents. Would you do that? I would not be opposed to doing that. Again, I don't have all the answers for that. Those are conversations I would be thrilled to have with folks. Um, I would love to reach out to Michael Payne because when I win the seat in November, I would, I would love to be able to have that kind of relationship with the city. You know, one thing that I would, I would love to push is the uh, revenue sharing agreement, which if I'm correct now, annexing county limits is no longer feasible so i think last year we sent 15 million dollars to the city which by the way has the larger portion of the businesses in in our county so why are we sharing county revenue with a city that has more economic revenue coming in 
Um, to me, that, you know, but then How, what, again. What, what could you do with that, the rev share agreement, though? I don't have an answer for that, to be honest. It's something I've only looked into a little, you know, just a little. But to me, it's mind-blowing. Now, this is an agreement that was written whenever I was born. Yeah, so I would have to date back. Um, and to segue back to Michael Pruitt, I think zoning is an issue as well. I would like to see, I'd like to have some more conversations and see a little bit more on the development of better zoning in certain situations to, to make it more palatable for, for developers. Um, again, that leads so back into affordable housing. So are you pro-zoning in Almar County? I don't know much about it. I do know that I'm not pro-HOA, and if your neighborhood is forming an HOA so you can soften the blow for up-zoning, uh-huh. I think up-zoning doesn't sound like a great idea because okay. HOAs are necessary, but they are also another You watch another this show, burden. don't you? I do watch your show. You watch the and show. And look, if I don't catch it live, I always save it so I can catch it later whenever I'm on my run or something like that. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, well, I appreciate you bringing, you know, bringing information, local information, you know, like your segments on Kotchkiss. I think... I think he showed up in a you know in a real hard situation, and I think he's I think I agree with you. I think he's done a, a great job. You're talking police chief. Yes, yes, indeed. I believe he's done a great job. I know some of the guys I train with are very happy to be in his department nowadays. Um, to where I also train with guys from local local law, surrounding area law enforcements, and they left before he showed up due to the fact they didn't feel supported in, in their industry. Dude, you are, you are crushing this interview right now. <laughs> Judah, is this guy not... I mean, look For at a Judah. guy that he was is, nervous showing up. Dude, huh? you are crushing this interview right now. I mean, folks, oh. viewers and listeners, blow up his phone, give him some props, give him some thank you. Can we keep going with you? I mean, I'm okay. I'm Look, I run a family business. They know where I'm at. So okay, I don't they're watching they're, you right now. I'm uh, seeing the heat map. Most likely my younger brother is busy getting stuff done while I'm out. So okay. I thank him. I hope he's not watching. I, I, I hope he's making watching. money. I think they're watching. Um, all right. I'm going to throw this to you here. Um, this is a very straightforward question. Um, school rebranding. Meriwether Lewis Elementary. Meriwether Lewis Elementary. We had um, a father that was on the uh, name consideration committee. It was called a name consideration committee. This is a military veteran. He gets on the name consideration committee. And he finds very quickly what he volunteered for, a name consideration committee, was not that. Instead, it was a name changing committee. The committee followed the surveys that were filled out by parents at Meriwether Lewis Elementary. And over, uh, I'll I'll be conservative with my estimate because I don't have the data in front of me. My memory is pretty damn good, though. I would say over 85% of the parents surveyed at Meriwether Lewis Elementary said, don't change the name. Everything is fine and dandy. The name consideration committee, I'm using air quotes for those that are listening and not watching, said the surveys don't want us to change it, and it's an overwhelming majority. Then the name consideration committee votes democratically not to change the name. Then the superintendent and the superintendent's office get involved. And Dr. Haas and his cabinet come back to the name consideration committee and said, yeah, you misunderstood what you volunteered for. This is actually name changing committee and we're going to change it. Then they made them watch a video on DEI. Then they changed the vote from open, raising your hand for what you're voting for, to keep it in on the DL and write it on a tiny, tiny slip of paper where only the superintendent's cabinet could see the results. Then the school name was changed. 
School rebranding, Almoral County, anywhere you want to go. So, Jared, thank you for that question. That's a lot to unpack. Again, I watched the Meg Bryce show. One of the things she stated is that whenever she had requested the amount of funds allocated for those rebranding, she got these fragmented, broken-up answers. They couldn't really give her an actual just line-by-line line breakdown. Um, you ask me, look, I'm not from the Nerf generation, right? We used to, and I don't recommend this for any young folks at home, we used to have BB gun wars. I played paintball for years. We rode our bikes. We made reckless jumps, things like that. I think... Yeah, concept, you and I are lucky to be alive. What we did as kids, yes. right? Yeah. I think the concept of rebranding a school due to the fact of somebody who might have had a great positive impact, but also had some negative stuff in their in their history. I think wasting current funding on rebranding schools. I think those funds would have been better giving teachers resources and funds they needed. Um, again, it's. I don't need you to take my money for some feel-good policy. I need you to take my money and I need you to allocate it and be diligent with how you're spending it. Like I said at the top of the show, business, government is unlike any other business. They're not in the business of making money. They're in the business of taking money. They should definitely be diligent on how they're spending it. Um, I have a lot of customers who work for the school system and one of them made a statement to me and said, Matthew Haas would not have ever let any of, you know, when he was a teacher, he wouldn't have been for anything that he is allowing to take place in his school system. Um, you know, and again, not saying that our county and our schools don't have a lot of great things going on, but like anything, they can always use a tightening up. Me and my father run our budget on a regular basis to see where our waste is and where we can tighten up. Um, I think Brad Rickles said it in an article I read. This is the Crozet candidate challenging yes. Ann Malik, who's running for her fifth term. If she wins her fifth term, that would be 20 consecutive years for one person running Almaro County, one of six. She would be on the board for 20 straight years. She's four terms in. This would be her fifth. Brad, I've had many people reach out to me about you coming on the show. In fact, anybody of any political persuasion could come on this program. I just want this to be the water cooler of Charlottesville and Central Virginia. Even if we disagree, we can disagree in a respectful way where we can have a conversation and folks can learn from us. That's literally all I'm trying to do here. You were talking Brad. Well, yeah, so I was reading an article, which I've met Brad. He's a great fella. Um, I think he's a very strong candidate, another independent. He's got a lot of expertise. One of the things he, he stated in this article was working for the f government as long as he has, unfortunately, government budgets don't have a light item that say government waste. Um, so, you know, I would like to be in those meetings as an advocate for people whose money we are appropriating to wherever it's going. So that way I can look for the waste as the budget process coming in. Um, you know, I've, I've had people tell me and I've seen my competitor question about the budget surplus that sits in the balance to budget fund. Now, if I'm correct, and I've heard a lot about triple triple A bond ratings, and as somebody who runs a dealership that specializes in subprime financing, I understand the necessity for sound sound credit, especially for a large entity like Almar County that is going to have to borrow money for some of their capital improvements. Not trying to tear down on the triple triple A bond rating that I've heard, but 
I think it's 2% of the budget is what you have to keep in that balance to budget fund in order to maintain that bond rating. I've heard estimates of close to $60 million sitting in that balance to budget fund. Now, I think I looked at the budget before I left here. The expenditures are about $546 million. So if I'm correct, I mean, that's about $12, $13 million. So there's a large swath of, of taxpayers' dollars in there that hopefully are, are, are being leaned into using for things like the Northern Feeder or, as Mr. Pruitt said, the Southern Feeder high schools that are going to be necessary or infrastructure expansion for classrooms. You know, I would be really interested to see the, the student counts to see, you know, if it's a possibility of just maybe expanding the school's footprint or, you know, possibly if we need to ex- expand and, and build a new school. These are things that we're going to need. How, how um, about school bus drivers? <laughs> that's another one there. You know, I have a great client that is a bus driver. Um, look, I have solar on my home. I was able to afford it. One of the dirty little secrets is is the tax breaks that we got for our solar are typically funded by lower and middle income people that can't afford to put solar on their home. I love renewables where they work. Um, you know, I know it's a dirty word, but I think one of the best zero emission energy providers, especially if we're looking to charge a bunch of EVs and electric buses that I've heard, would be nuclear. Um, if you have an aircraft carrier that can go off the shore for 15 years and not have to come back because it has its own power generation on board, I think the Navy's got it down. I think we could do you know 30-year plants that we could revisit to see what they might need. Um, I know outside of Houston, they have carbon capture natural gas plants, which if you ask any solar installer, I've had them tell me this. When the bell curve hits in solar and it's not producing energy, what sustains the grid? typically natural gas. You know, if you got areas where you don't get sun, you don't get wind, and they're burning coal, why not retrofit those plants with some sort of natural gas carbon capture? Because there is a company, Net Zero, out of Carolina, has two plants outside of Houston, and they're about 30 megawatt plants. Now, I know the county's got this 200-acre solar farm, which would produce that same amount of power as, I think, a 5 to 10-acre natural gas plant that runs. So the plant burns the burns the natural gas and then it captures the carbon and the plant itself runs off the carbon. It is a net zero plant. They have two of them outside of Houston that are currently operational, I think, for the last couple years. Why aren't we pouring more money in research and development into elaborating that until we can get to a point of sustainability? Um, you know, one thing that I look at is renewables are great, but look at the impact. So I read an article a long time ago that says a Toyota Prius by the end of its life cycle had the same impact as a Ford F-150. Between the mining and, you know, strip mining, because if you ever look, if you look at Luckstone where they pull the gravel out, that used to be a mountain, okay? so when drive by pulling, that every day. When you're pulling lead, when you're pulling cobalt, when you're pulling all of these things, which a lot of them are being sourced very unethically, you're, you're destroying ecosystems and environment to where you're, so you're destroying the environment to save the environment. You know, to me, I think, and I know it's a very multifaceted approach, so I don't claim to have all the answers. I just think nobody wants to sit down and have the conversations to try to find a middle ground of what the best sustainable way to get to where we need to be. So I will give props to to B. We, I was at one of the work sessions for CAT, and the gentleman, Mr. Williams, who runs it, seems like a very knowledgeable guy. And by B, he means B. Lapisto Curtly. She the actually incumbent. was. She was the one person who made mention about liquid natural gas buses, right? First and foremost, if you look at the buses, I was told by a gentleman on his morning runs how many empty buses he sees. 
First and foremost, why wouldn't you maybe shift those large buses to 16-passenger buses that would be a little bit more economical and a little bit less impact on emissions, and then run the big buses in the higher-rate routes? They should have all that information. They have plenty of research into it. So B actually made mention about liquid natural gas instead of diesel buses. I think his name is Garland Williams. Sorry if I got that wrong, but Mr. Williams made mention to the last authority he worked at, they had those natural those LNG buses. They were one of the, they had less emissions and they were one of the more dependable buses than the diesel versions, as opposed to they're trying to invest in hybrid buses. Now, another thing I heard at that same work session is if you see the trolley out on 29, that means one of those hybrid buses is in the shop. So anytime you see the Who bus out on 29 running a normal route, that means one of the hybrid buses has not has not gotten there, not to mention they cost twice as much. Heard the same thing from school bus driver. The county currently has electric or battery powered school buses that can typically barely make it through the one route before they need to show back up to be recharged. And again, they cost two to three times more than your normal buses. So I'm not saying that we should not invest in reducing our impact just saying we shouldn't pull the carpet out from underneath us until we get to a better point of sustainability with, with those models. I think um, he's talking about throwing the baby out with the bathwater right there. I, um, yes, he, I agree Which well, very well said. Um, I'll throw a couple more to you. Um, you. I can already tell your wife is amazing. Um, she is. She is saying Best this, thing ever happened to me. She goes, this man kids. comes home every day after serving the community and sits for hours just writing personal notes, thanking the people in our community just for hearing him out. He cares so much and he works so hard. Yes, Jerry, he watches this show while writing these notes. Thank you for the shout-out. It's easy to be behind my loving husband. I love that. I love that, Chelsea. Thank you, baby. Scott Aaronworth, the attorney in Virginia Beach with ties to the University of Virginia, says, does TJ have a daughter? Because I think he just made a Taylor Swift reference with the all-too-well comment he did earlier. Is that a Taylor Swift reference? You do have a daughter. It, it very well could be. I do have a daughter, Stella. She's nine years old. So um, maybe the maybe the Taylor Swift is, is creeping into the subconscious over there hey, of the candidate. So I, I, I'll ask specific questions here as we wind down, about 10 more minutes with, with TJ. And then we got a client coming in that's going to help us keep the lights on. Um, this is what I'll throw to you. You um, are running against an incumbent. Um, she's had one term. She has name recognition. I'll also cut to the chase. Albemarle County, as we both know, leans Democrat. Um, I, 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 we, there's a, a lot of track record that would suggest. In fact, I think the last Republican to serve on the board Ken was Boyd. Um, Ken Boyd. Ken Boyd in the Rio District. You're running as an independent. Um, talk to me about the choice to run as an independent. Why an independent? Talk to me about what you feel of the Republican Party. Has it changed? Do you still identify with aspects of it or it at all? You and I are the same age here. Um, I've voiced my opinions on both parties, how they've become caricatures of their former selves. And I think a lot of that is because of social media. But I want to hear your thoughts. Why run as an independent? Well, I will parrot exactly what you just said there at social media and the modern age of communication, which, as we talked about before the show, I think face-to-face -face in person is the best way to communicate. Social cues are a big thing you miss on a keyboard. The loudest 10% have got the, the platforms to amplify themselves to where that 80% in the middle of the road 
I mean, we're just out here left to dry. Again, I grew up outside of Dallas, you know, and the community I was in was fairly conservative. It was a dry county up until five, six years after I left. Um, I've been in Charlottesville for over 26 years. You know, I pride myself on on this wonderful little cottage community that we got, this college community we got in here. You know, we you bring you have such a diverse group that is embracing to where running as an independent was fairly simple um there are there are things on on both angles that i would agree with i agree with you that i don't think neither party um really represents their former self you know one of the greatest statements i heard is you know the democrats always say oh we want to stomp out poverty and the republicans say we want to stomp out bureaucracy and neither of them have done anything but escalate both of those situations if you ask me um, to where I said it, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm very moderate. I'm in the middle of the road. I mean, I think legalization of cannabis was one of the, one of the better things that took people who were being penalized and scrutinized, you know, just res- responsible consumers, you know, just like if you're going to go have a beer, why can't somebody responsibly consume at home? Why have we not created a system to where we can regulate and tax that, which would make it a safer environment for those folks? Not to mention it takes people out of penal systems for simple possession. Um, You know, I think for-profit prisons are a terrible thing. I've had family members who've struggled with substance abuse and have been incarcerated. I don't think an addict, a a reoccurring addict, should be be imprisoned. I don't think you should have for-profit prisons. If you can have a for-profit prison, I think you should have for-profit rehabilitation. I don't think you should have to have some some expensive health insurance policy in order to be able to get into one of these programs. I think people should, you know, if you can send somebody away for six months to incarcerate them for a small infraction, you should be able to send them away for six months to help them get clean. Then you might send them back out to the tax base, and now they're a productive member of society again. Well said. So I'm very, I'm very middle of the road. Um, you know, again, I'm very to each his own. I will be a great neighbor, regardless of how you live. Look, as long as you're not harming women, children, and animals, live your life, man. There you go. Live your life. That's the way we grew up, you know. Again, I have friends from all walks of life, and I celebrate that. I love them all for their individuality. That's why I think an independent was the right choice, especially in a heavy blue county, because I don't want the baggage coming from one side or the other. I truly have independent thought. I am a free-thinking, critical-thinking person, you know, and, I, and I'm a proponent for smaller government. I think, I think there's a lot of waste um, in these, these, what I'm coming to find, these humongous budgets that seem to be captivated out of our pockets. So. Dude, you and I, and, I, and anyone who watches this program knows that I am no longer involved in this election cycle, and <sighs> I was very straightforward in that our youngest just was not sleeping for seven months and change. So while we had the green light um, prior to the birth of our child and this past November, the past seven, eight months have been really challenging. Um, but you and I would have been a formidable tandem um, on this election cycle, TJ. Um, I'll throw this to you. We talked about this off air. I think what you're saying is going to resonate with so, so, so many people. Okay? But you're a business guy, so you think both sides. You know, what could happen and what might also happen. So I think you have a hell of a shot of winning this race. I've said it on the show. The two most competitive races are going to be your race against Lepisto Kirtley and Bryce against Spillman. 
I think the other races, and I'm just being a straight shooter here, political science, I'm not trying to throw shade, I don't think the other races are going to be competitive. Okay? I think it's you and Lepisto Kirtley and, and, and uh, Bryce and Spillman and on the school board. What happens if you don't win? Have you thought about it? Have you put a scenario together? Well, of course. You know, one of my favorite sayings is triple A's of life. That was given to me by a good buddy. Adapt, adjust, and accommodate. Um, because, you know, there's, there's no set plan in anything. You know, of course, my logic is, is I'm going to win the seat. That's what I'm running for. That's why I'm spending all the countless hours away from my family just to see if I can make an impact or improve. If I don't win, I know I'll come back as a stronger competitor on the next cycle. Or maybe at that point in time we can we can run Do it together simultaneously. With a ticket. I would love um, that. But of course, you know, I'll deal with that November eighth. Yeah. Because in my mind I'm winning the seat. Um, Respect. So well said. And my one thing if I can give a little props to my father, one of the best things he's ever instilled in me is there's no such thing as a problem, only an opportunity to succeed. Um, that's the way I like to look at life, you know. Or or to be cheesy and quote Bruce Lee. If you're going to be anything, be like water. Water becomes what it is. It, when it runs into the path of resistance, it finds a way around. If you pour it in a cup, it becomes the cup. Um, you know, that. at the end of the day, I am open for the celebration of diversity of thought. I'm open-minded to having conversations that might be counter to my own, you know, intuition. Um, there are certain convictions that I am 100% married to like being true and, and faithful to my honest wife and uh, standing behind my children until my dying day. But, you know, I'm not 100% married on certain ideas or I'm not 100% against coming Listening up to some to sort of trade-off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, reasonable trade-offs. There's no such things as solutions, only reasonable trade-offs, you know. And, and again, those, it comes back to those come to uncomfortable conversations to come up with the solutions that are needed for people to be happy with the way that their local government's running. That's why I'm out here and I'm on this campaign trail. And as you'll see me in the next months to come, I've been out knocking doors um, four days a week. So if you see me, I hope you have something that you can give me that I can take back to represent on behalf. Again, I want to be that guy in the room for the people who don't have the time to keep their ear to the ground to see how their money's being spent. I want to be the advocate for taxpayers so that way you can have a, a normal voice. One thing I tell people at the doors is I want to put a normal voice back on the tax on the on the board of supervisors. You know, I don't think there I don't think there's representation on behalf of us. Um, one of the statements, you know, that was made at the May 5th meeting where they did not equalize the rate, but they, they um, voted to keep it the same was, you know, by the incumbent that I'm running against was, you know, people were upset about the increases, but they understood how the money was being spent. The doors I'm knocking on, they disagree with that statement. Um, they, don't, they don't feel the benefit or the return on investment in their pockets, they, you know, or in their lives. They do feel the hit on their pockets, but they don't feel the increase or the quality of life improvements or the return on investment that the county is selling in these budget presentations. You know, staffing is, is pretty heavy nowadays. If you look at the last 10 years, I think it's about 75 more employees for the county. You know, HR in two years went from three people to 15 people. That increased their operational expense by a million dollars. Um, you know, rebranding of schools is a just blatant waste 
you're not changing history by changing that name. Not to mention, as Meg Bryce said, Virginia Murray was an African-American lady that this school was named after who was an example of what to be in a trying time, I could only imagine. So why are we squandering our money to, for these feel-good policies? As, as I said it, you know, you're wasting valuable resources that could be allocated to, to improve our educators' lives, to improve the conditions they're working in to pay bus drivers more without taking so long to do it so kids can get to school and show up and not miss a lot of learning that we're paying for as well. One of my big keys, and back to your question, if I don't win the seat, one thing I would like to at least point out is, remember everybody, we fund every dollar that goes into these systems. So become active. That's what I did. I got tired of complaining about it to people who had to listen. I figured I'd go out and take the lumps and bruises, which thanks to my training at Gracie, if I could throw another plug in. <laughs> you know, one thing that's taught me is how to put myself in an uncomfortable position. I know there's going to be a lot of people who are going to, and all I ask is come to me face to face. That's how I prefer it. I don't like backstabbing. I don't talk about people behind their back. I make sure to state it to them because I want them to know it. I you know, otherwise I don't make a statement at all. But I know there's lumps and bruises. I know there's going to be mud sling, and I'm okay with that. That's the position That's I'm signing game. up for. Yeah. All I ask is please come to me with, that, with whatever you might have. I would love to have that conversation. Civil discourse, I believe, is something we're losing in this society anymore. Back to, you know, social media. Keyboards have taken, you know, Mike Tyson said it best. A lot of these people online forgot the fact that they could get punched in the face for the way that they say some of these statements. That's right. In my 20 years of customer service, which, you know, I think will help bring a lot to the seat that I'm, I'm, I'm going after, my 20 years in customer service, one thing I've always learned is the customer on the phone is the, is the, is the biggest bully in the world, but when they get face-to-face, -face, we usually have a very amicable conversation, and we can typically come up with a solution that everybody can live with. You know, I'd like to get back to that um, just because, again, it's something that we're losing here. You know, transparency, closed door sessions, cl behind door government doesn't work for me. You know, we're funding it. We should know what you're doing. As I was getting into with the campaigning, you know, direct mailers are cheap enough. We could send a quarterly newsletter out to every district on what's going on with their tax dollars, what we plan to propose, the date the town hall will be for them to come have the public discussion shouldn't be election time and you dust off time to go have town halls. You should have a town hall every six months or if, if every three months if you're up to it. You should have an annual state of the, of, of the district from every supervisor, you know, and you shouldn't just have to, you shouldn't just have to advertise one time in 30 days for the possibility of a public forum for the tax rate. Especially in a be, publication that no one reads, that exactly. now has a $50 a month paywall that's being circulated by the post office, and it's coming three days late. When it's supposed to come on Tuesday, you get it on Friday, the Thursday on Sunday, and the Sunday on Tuesday. So Jared, what the heck? You articulated that way better than I believe I could have, but I agree. You know, With the excessive funds that the county seems to pull out of our pockets, I think they could easily send a quarterly newsletter, or they should send three notices of the, ta the public debate for tax 
Um, I mean, let's cut know, to the, the chase. Taxpayer. They're doing a really good job of sending the bill on the on the in June and December for us to pay our assessments. They never skip that one. We that don't one skip never that one, and we all get it. Exactly. They could easily do the same kind of concept with the quarterly newsletter. Not to mention there are plenty of printing companies in town that I believe would be very happy to have some of their revenue and some of ours back in their pockets to send those out. And you could probably do it through a sunset tax program. That was another one of TJ's ideas right Hey, there. look, you know, one thing I heard in CACs, so real quick, CACs, I was listening to Brad Reichel's podcast, or sorry, Brad Rickles' podcast, Rhymes with Pickle, remember that. Brad Rickles' podcast about the uh, Rivanna Village uh-huh. CAC. So if you listen to the gentleman who was the chair of that CAC, the reason they all got up and resigned, which I go to the CACs, and they tell you about the staff proposals and you can make comments like I asked about how is Martha Jefferson tax exempt such a large campus that kind of got blown off and they moved on to the staff proposal but the Rivena Village CAC chair they all resigned and walked out because they were being bullied by their supervisor about pushing back against the proposals that they are supposed to be putting input in the community committee that is supposed to be advising on that input how do you preach on your website about community engagement, but whenever your community wants to engage, you push back on them because you don't like the fact they're pushing back against your staff proposals, which, by the way, 65% of those people commute to this county to work. And again, I'm not opposed. I've, I've had great interactions with a lot of our staff, and I believe in well-paid, efficient staff because we have to be competitive in that. Well-paid, efficient staff, though, is where I bring it down. You know, first responders should never have to work a second job. Teachers should never have to struggle to be able to live in a community that they're teaching in. Like, these are, these are simple things. And I know, look, it sounds much easier said than done, but I'd like to get in there and see if I can't help persuade those policies to make that a possibility. You, I sincerely mean this, you are welcome back anytime. Um, he just hit a grand slam. Dude, this guy crushed it. I mean, this is one of the best interviews we've ever done. This was 90 straight minutes without commercial break, taking questions from folks and asking very straightforward, pointed, specific questions. He handled those questions admirably. He is running against B. Lepisto Kirtley. I encourage B. Lepisto Kirtley to come on the program. I'm an equal opportunity interviewer. Um, regardless of political persuasion. I would also love to host a live debate like we did with Steve Harvey and Ann Malik, um, and that debate between B. Lepisto Kirtley and T.J. Fadley. You will get questions in advance, and then there will be one question that I ask that you do not know about, and we could even take a question or two from the viewing audience as well. All we're trying to do is offer transparency of communication when it comes to local government, because when communities know what's happening in local government, that education creates engagement, yes. gets us more engaged, and keeps us more informed to what's happening. I sincerely mean this, dude. You were dynamite today. <laughs> well, thank you. Consider- How can they find you? So the best way to find me would be on my website, everybodyvotestj.com. I also just bought tjforsupervisor.com, so either one of those two will send you out. Um, any support would be greatly appreciated. Um, it is an uphill battle for me to try to win this race, so that way I can represent on behalf of the people in my district. So volunteers, contributions, all of that is very welcome. Um, this race will definitely get much more expensive as we progress towards November. Um, I would be up for an open debate. 
And I plan Figured to be back on your show um, multiple more times. I thank you. You're the great host, great source of local information. Thank you. Um, you know, just to kick back to one more thing. In my announcement speech, the Daily Progress wrote an article, which Hal Spencer did a great job, and I thank him for that. Um, you know, the chair of the Almar Democratic Party made a mention to she thought B had done a great job for her constituents in representing everybody in her district, which, again, a lot of the people I, I have conversations with would disagree. But she said in that same statement that incumbents run off of their record and challengers run off of promises they intend to keep. That's not what I'm doing. I'm actually running off of her record. Her record is that she's never seen a tax increase that she hasn't voted for. I would just like to put an average person's perspective back into how deep they continue to go into our pockets. So, you know, again, I plan to be on the show multiple more times, Jerry, and I really appreciate you and Judah for hosting me today. Um, coming in, I was a bag of nerves at the end of this. You'd make me feel like a rock star, which I'll bust the bubble on the way out the door. Um, <laughs> But yes, sir, and I, I really appreciate the exposure and, and what you do for the community. Thank you. Guys, TJ Fadeley, boys and girls, he just crushed it. Um, that's the program. Tomorrow at 1230, Mayor Lloyd Snook, uh, Mayor City of Charlottesville, Lloyd Snook, excited to feature him and catch up on the new city manager and all things Charlottesville City related and Admiral County related. We will bring up the revenue sharing agreement tomorrow with Mayor Lloyd Snook. Uh, when you see TJ Fadeley, give him props. Blow up his phone, see him in person, give him dap, you know, high five, a hug, however you want to give him some props. Dude just hit a grand slam. For Judah Whitcow and for TJ, my name is Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville Show. 92 minutes straight of content without stopping, and it's all about Central Virginia. Thank you for joining us. So long.